Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Hallett, formerly known as the mighty might of the midfield. He's now just a shell of the player that he once was. <laughs> and the youngster in the booth, OTB producer and Syria uh, specialist Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, John Champion will be our guest. He's sort of the gold standard in soccer broadcasting. He's the voice of MLS and a really storied background, covering MLS now, EPL, World Cups, Olympics. This guy's CV goes on and on. Uh, just uh, not only really talented, but a really great all-around guy. We love having him on the show, um, so we're happy to have him back. So, guys, uh, big day. President Trump impeached yesterday for the second time. Um, never before in human history has that happened. That would be called a brace in soccer terms. Brace in soccer. Trump <laughs> scores a brace. So, uh, <laughs> apparently, Congress is over Donald Trump. Uh, what are you over this morning? Look at that for a segue, gentlemen. Huh? <laughs> what are you guys over, Sam? Uh, I'm over something I think I've been over before, but it's been at least a year. But I'm over just the ads on jerseys getting carried away. Um, you know, I know this is kind of in the tradition of European soccer to have something across your chest, but, you know, just getting ads above the logo now on the shoulders, below the number on the back, I just think it's getting carried away. And it's not only that, it's also that, you know, like, why does Roma have to be sponsored by Qatar Airways or Juventus sponsored by Jeep when I don't even think you can get a Jeep in Italy? I mean... (laughs) Like it's it none of it makes sense. It's this completely like global billboard kind of thing. It just uh, I, I don't know. It's different to me if Newcastle United has a Newcastle Brown Ale ad uh, rather than some like betting site based in Cyprus. Um, right. So anyway, I, I'm just getting a little fed up with You're it. Curmudgeonly, I like it. You're a young man who acts like an old man at times. So what I do but, like is that a lot of teams now let you buy their jerseys without the logo, and yeah. sometimes they even send you like the logo as a patch, and you can iron it on or something. I mean, That's if you're good. doing that, wow, real, is all I can real, say. this goes right into your... Uh, yeah, it's, it's the almighty dollar, pound, lira, whatever <laughs> denomination when I talk about it. Every square inch of shirt will be sold at some point if they can get something for it. I, I, I'm right. with you, though, Sam. I think it just becomes uh, distracting, actually. I mean, it's distracting. The shirt becomes like a distraction. And I, I don't mind one logo. I don't mind one presenting sponsor, but I think it's gotten a little bit over the top. Well, you know, a couple of things. You listen to Taylor Twelman on MLS. It's like, you know, the uh, the tire ad that he does. This this highlight brought to you by, so a highlight's actually sponsored by Continental Tires. Yeah. You know, uh, and we, we love Continental Tires. They'd be a great sponsor of our show if they're interested at all. Please let us know. Call our business affairs number, Grail Hallett. Can I give you your home yeah, phone we, number? We, sure. we sort of invented, right, the like this portion of the match is brought to you by Snickers. I think I saw that for the first time. Well, on air, re- on air reads go back to the Johnny Carson, you know, in late night TV when the, they would they would basically read the oh, ad oh. of the sponsor brought to you by Geritol yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, all the brands just want integration. They want to be part of the broadcast. So, you know, the college halftime show for football was the Home Depot College and they did a really good integration. They just want to be mentioned and kind of part of the brand itself. So we understand it. But you remember when Barcelona used to be UNICEF and I think that was gratis. Uh, They just thought it was a good idea. But yeah, now uh, a lot of money. It's it's hard. It's hard to keep track, too, between. 
between sponsors, but also apparel manufacturers, like who's sponsoring who, because it changes every few years. Well, you think about the shirts, they said David Beckham almost paid for himself when he came to MLS just by the shirt sales nationally, internationally uh, there. So, uh, all right. So what are you over today uh, on OTB Grail? I'm I'm over Hope Solo. And uh, I've been over Hope Solo. Yeah, but I mean, I'm over her again because she's reared her head again to complain about how she was treated as a young player on the U.S. Women's National Team, and and if Hope Solo is Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, is uh, Carly Lloyd, who she brought into this interview for reasons why Carly Lloyd would participate in this, I have no idea, because she's not nearly as toxic as Hope Solo. And again, it was just like, let's move on. I've had enough of Hope Solo. Let's start, you know, looking at the positives of the U.S. Women's National Team. We don't need to go back and relitigate what Hope Solo had a problem with. Look, I mean, I think you have a lot of problems intersecting here. One, it's it's her personal problem. So she has broken the law, done some things, and we've all been on teams where guys step out of line, and it's they have to pay their price. And the problem is sometimes when you're divisive within a locker room, coaches don't want to keep you around. And if you're doing things off the ball, outside the game, that are reflecting poorly on the country because you're on the Olympic team or the national team, I mean – if you're a great player, people, and she's probably the greatest goalkeeper of all times, right? We, we wouldn't, uh, you know, go against that, um, arguably. But, you know, when you start doing things, they're arrested two or three times and then no sort of uh, contrition and sort of still going at it. Now, Carly, when we were over at ESPN with this show, Carly was there uh, in studio and she called Hope twice while we were there. And, you know, uh, Hope was out on Nantucket talking about uh, women's rights and, and the game of soccer and how they're not uh, you know, given their due. So with this project called the Nantucket Project out there. So it was sort of like her job now is complaining. It really is. And I think what Carly Lloyd sort of sees the writing on the wall that she complained about the last World Cup, she didn't get enough playing time, which we talked about it last week on the show. If you win the World Cup, and you're complaining about the coach, it doesn't really resonate. Uh, she was used, being used as a spot player coming in about the 75th minute. I think she's on her way out. She knows it. So she's just joining in on the pity party. And, you know, part of that article, Grail, because I read it as well, um, they were talking about sort of the hazing that goes on when you join a team, how it was the mean girl thing, which if I think if we said that, it would be sexist because you can't say mean girls. It's like, how many times did you as a freshman walk with your your cafeteria tray, you didn't try to sit with the seniors. There's just no way, man. You you had to earn your keep. You had to shut your mouth. You had to play hard. Whatever it was, there's this process that you have to go through. So yeah. I well, I, and I also just complaints are. Well, it's also just of all people to be complaining about. I mean, Hope Solo is the most strident, borderline objectionable person in women's soccer. So for she's like all all of a sudden a snowflake. I mean, it just, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, certainly. It seems like she would be the one bullying people. Yeah, exactly. She's a bully. She beat up her 15 or 16 year old nephew. That's why she got in trouble the first time. So let's, let's, uh, we'll go from hope to, uh, well, let's talk about the the Herman Award winner from Stanford. I know you've watched her play quite a bit. Katerina Macario. Yeah. Uh, Oh my gosh. She's going overseas, guys. What do you think? She, she's a force. I mean, she, and she just got approval to play for the U.S. Women's National Team. So I, w- I would think she would be invited down to their camp. 
um, if, if that's possible. I don't, I don't know if you're allowed to add people to the camp. I'm sure you are. Um, anyway, she was, she was born in the U.S. and moved to Brazil when she was 12. And that was the issue was FIFA had to give approval for her to play. So she's gotten the approval. Yeah, two-time Herman Award winner, just a difference maker. And she just said, you know, Lyon, which is the powerhouse of women's soccer over in Europe, has players from all, all, all sorts of countries, the best of the best. They've won five straight Champions League titles. I mean, she's just going to the best team in the world, the best women's team in the world. And, you know, part of her thing was that she just wants consistent playing time ahead of the Olympics and she wants the cultural experience and she said all the right things. And, you know, unfortunately right. it's the NWSL's loss that she want, that she was not part of the draft yesterday that took. To, to yeah. It was play. happening more and more. So, uh, all right. So let's go from um, sort of uh, women's soccer and, and hope solo to some really positive news. 19 year old Matthew Hoppe, uh, Becomes the first American to ever score a hat trick in Bundesliga. Guys, did you had you even heard about this kid? No, never heard of this kid. Um, <laughs> I think it sort of you know goes with, along with what I was saying last week about um, that guy McKenzie moving to the Belgian league. I mean, th there's so many Americans out there now that right. it's not even a big deal when one of them you know pops up. Although to score a hat trick is a big deal. I'm not certainly not um, belittling that. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw these goals, but anyone who has not should watch yeah. the video because they're all fantastic they're all goals. Um, hard to say. Two little dink chips he had, man, with beautiful precision. It was really nice to watch. Very complete yeah. exposure in the box. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's tied to a bigger story, which is kind of funny, which is th this victory um, for Schalke ended a 30 game winless streak, which was one short of the Bundesliga record set back in the 60s. So uh, he helped them stave that off too. Were you guys aware of that as well? Yeah. You were? I, yeah. I, well, I was aware of that going into the match because they were just making a big deal about it. And, uh, but for Hoppy to be the guy who ended it is just <laughs> unbelievable with a hat trick, no less. I mean, it's just an incredible performance. So I guess, you know, I mean, Burhalter's got to be taking a look, one would think. Absolutely. I don't even know if he was on the radar. Uh, let's hope because we certainly need a goal scorer. Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Well, a little too early for that. I guess he's coming. Where did he come from? He came from Barca's Academy in Arizona. Did you yeah. know there was Barca Academy? I had no idea. I had no idea. We are pleading ignorance in three different <laughs> ways on this one story. So, uh, yeah. but hey, uh, you know, Sam, to your point, this is great news where we're a huge country. We have a lot of great athletes. I think a lot of the time in the past years, we haven't, you know, you've gone to the college game and I think your development slows down where, you know, Polisic talked about that. The ages of 14 to 16, when you really need to develop as a player, 14 to 18, really, uh, we just don't get in this country necessarily, men or women. So um, a lot of these stories are popping up and let's just hope, you know, a, a couple more pop up before the World Cup qualifying in the World Cup because we need a striker. You know, I was, Flinny, you and I were talking kind of off air about the quality of Hoppy's runs. That was yeah. what was so impressive is that, you know, kind of like a Jamie Vardy who knows how to kind of curl back and get himself onside. Right. The presence of mind was really, really unbelievable for a, a young guy, I thought. Well, they showed one camera angle where he bent his run, right, yeah. to stay onside, also to open, to draw the defender out, then turned over the other shoulder. The guy put the through ball right, you know, right at the right time, weighted it perfectly, but then to finish the way he finished, I think the outside of his right foot, a chip over the goalkeeper and almost a no look uh, chip. So it was, it was really 
Quite an impressive finish in the box. So I don't know if you heard the German commentator, but I found this incredibly humorous. Didn't want to quite give him his due. He was like, that was a decent finish. I was like, what are you watching here? And finally, by the third goal, he had to give up a little love for this guy. But I don't know who's doing the color on the broadcast, but he was very, very unwilling to really praise him. It was, it was, it was funny. Sam, I thought of you watching the, that game and the commentary because here it was a Bundesliga game being broadcast in English with one man with an English accent and the other man with a thick German accent. I'm saying like even the American cover, even the English language coverage, we can't even get an English speaker on that one. Um, you know, it's just thick German. And you could tell a couple of the tenses were off, the verb tenses and- um, das, you know, the, das was a good finish. Was, yeah, I mean, who okay. knows? I've, I have no idea what a German broadcast is like, but maybe I could imagine Germans not being, you know, overly praiseful and, uh, you know, kind of stoic. So maybe yeah, that all it goes. Was, it was yeah, very, but a bigger yeah, point is in English, you know, gosh, why wouldn't you, if it's going back to the United States, why don't you have an American do it over there? It's the same logic you used last week with uh, NBC. Oh, absolutely. And hey, the Bundesliga yeah. is our, is our biggest destination for players. There's no reason we can't have, you know, our, our own guys on it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it does. I, I think Taylor does some Bundesliga games though. I, I, okay. I thought I thought that ESPN. No, I thought that ESPN had some games. I, I no, they do. Wrong. No, Bundesliga is all ESPN. Yeah, yeah. So he does, and I've heard him do games. So Syria, yeah. uh, what happened with Weston McKinney? Yeah, I, I was a little nervous this weekend because he he came off injured after about 20 minutes in the Juve Sassuolo match. Um, but he's uh, apparently fine. The injury was not serious. It was more you know precautionary, and uh, he'll be fit to play this weekend in the Derby d'Italia, which is uh, the Juve Inter game. Um, so that should be really exciting. Hopefully, hopefully he. Gets Any other in news in Syria happening? Uh, not really. I mean, there, there was Coppa Italia this midweek, which is, I, I don't know. I mean, if the FA cup has kind of become an afterthought, I mean, the Coppa Italia was always an afterthought. So it's become even more of an afterthought. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this. I was a little sad watching the games this week because I mean, it's one thing, there's no fans in the stadium anyway, but usually there's no fans in the stadium for these games. And I, I had an idea, which I wanted to run by you guys, which but is we even, pre, even before COVID. Pre-COVID? Yeah, there's never too many fans at the Coppa Italia games. You, you know, generally because they're in the middle of the week and people don't really care until maybe like the semifinals. People have jobs, you know. Yeah. Um, and it also, the Coppa Italia doesn't include all the different levels the way it does in England. So you don't get Inter going to play, you know, a tiny little team in, in Sicily or something. So yeah. it's just, it's not, a, it's not as cool. But anyway, I, I was thinking in general about the Cups. Um, what if they were to make them an under-23 tournament? Only under 23 players could play. I'd like to watch that. Thoughts? Um, The point being... Well, the point being that, like, you know, the top guys don't usually play in the cup games anyway. It's sort of the chance for you to roll out your B team. So why not just officialize that? But I think they end up doing that just because of the scheduling. The schedules are so compact that a lot of the big teams will play their showcase their younger guys. Yeah. But yeah. Sam, so why not just, formalized. why not just make it official? Yeah. So Klopp can't complain about having a game midweek because he's yeah. not going to put his main guys in anyway. Fine I think it'd be kind of cool. I mean, you could do that with like a Carabao cup. I think you could take a cup that's kind of on the outs anyway. And if you wanted to just change it and make it more interesting, that could yeah, be I don't care about do it. it cup. I don't yeah, care exactly. About it, so yeah. hey, Grail, let's bring it back domestically here. Um, 
We're going to have John Champion on, obviously, in a little bit. He's the voice of MLS. Uh, MLS and the Collective Bargaining Agreement and Garber. Go. What do we got? Yeah, so, you know, so Garber's on the uh, on the offensive, uh, being the best sales guy he can be. And I, I do know Don personally from his NFL days, and I know he's a great sales guy. Um, but yeah, you know, he's just pushing this idea of um, freezing salaries in 2022 so that the players don't really take a financial hit. The owner is kind of owning it in terms of the finances there, but then being able on the backside to extend the CBA by two years. So that's the trade-off. We give you something, you give us something on the back end. And he really wants to get this done because he's looking at like a mid-March start date um, for the new 2021 MLS season. And, and there are all sorts of potential landmines out there scheduling wise with the gold cup yeah. and you got world cup qualifying and yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's like any league right now that is juggling all that stuff and wondering how are we going to get all the games in? And uh, yeah. So we'll yeah, see. You know, it's so- interesting. It's interesting because you know, here we are um, talking about the game here, but it's the world's game. So there's so many various machinations, as you mentioned. Yeah. Think about NFL, it's pretty straightforward. NBA, uh, you know, baseball, World Series, it's sort of like a league in unto itself. It, it can, and people are, you know, domestically, we're still struggling uh, sports wise to try and deal with COVID. So imagine yeah. COVID and all these other games, qualifiers and things to, to think about. No wonder Don has lost all his hair. I think yeah, I mean, everybody. And, and interesting is like the um, MLS Players Association hasn't, resp- hasn't responded to it. He's like, he hasn't, yeah. they haven't called back, but they've got about 30 days in good faith, I think, to negotiate. Right. You know, and then I think it can become a little bit more acrimonious. But, but even you said last week, Grail, on the show that perhaps Garber had overstated the amount that the, the owners had lost this past year? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I may have said that, but I may have also said that because I had read that other people had said that, that he was a little freewheeling with the billion dollar in losses number. Um, again, I, I have no way of uh, contesting that. I, I don't know. It just seemed like a nice big round number. So I would need somebody who knows the numbers better right. to dig into it. So, because, you know, we should maybe get the Professor Stephen Banks on again. We'll talk about the collective bargaining agreement because we've talked about it with the women's national team and what they've sort of um, negotiated. So it'd be interesting to get his perspective on this one. Yeah. Sort of- and, and then just quickly, also, since we're in MLS, uh, Chris Armas, uh, ex-New York Red Bulls coach, was hired by Toronto FC. So he was only unemployed for a few months and they swept in and, and picked him up. So uh, he's, a, he's him. a player's coach. He's a yeah. player's coach. And uh, I love to watch him as a player. So, um, so yeah, a little bit, some coaching moves uh, happening. Yeah. Um, Sam, I thought this was interesting. Pochettino's getting a lot of love for winning the first trophy of his career, French super cup and, um, against super Marseille. cup, whatever that means. I mean, I, I could have been over this at the top. I, I mean, <laughs> I, it's not his fault. I mean, but the media is making a big deal about him winning his first ever trophy. Uh, you know, this is his third game in charge of the team. Obviously, to get into the French Super Cup, it means, you know, you had to win the league before. So if anything, it's more of a reflection on, you know, the previous manager. I mean, I can remember when R- Rafa Benitez took over from Mourinho at Inter after he won the treble and his first game was the Super Cup. And he's there, you know, lifting it like he's just won, like conquered some huge trophy. (laughs) And Mourinho, very rightly, you know, for once in his life was saying, you know, like, that's my trophy. You know, I earned that. 
Um, right. So I, I don't know. Again, I like Pochettino. I, this is not an attack on him. I just, I don't know. Some of the headlines are, are pretty funny. That's funny, you know, like to hold the trophy up after coaching one game. You know, it reminds me of, uh, I was watching the LA Lakers when they won the championship years ago. And uh, Cooper, all the guys were in the locker room and celebrating. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Bruce Willis walks into the locker room. And he grabs the trophy and puts it up over his head and everything. And all the players, you could see the looks on their faces like, who is this guy? I mean, I know yeah. who he is, but yeah. what is he doing here? Get out of mm -hmm. the locker room. It's it's sacred, it's sacred ground, you know? And, and oh yeah. You know, just try to jump in. So anyway, um uh round three of the FA Cup Grail. Uh, yeah, and I and I and I won't go into too, game. I won't go into too much depth because we may end up covering a bit of this with our guest, but uh yeah, the thing I love about Crawley Town and, and Sam, you came up with what I thought was a cool idea of how having like an open college tournament, mm -hmm. kind of like the FA Cup. Great thing about the FA Cup is the, the, the little guys can beat the big guys in fourth tier uh, Crawley Town, fourth tier being League Two, right? So you go Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. They beat Leeds 3 0. And, um, Three second half goals, you know, the, the the little guy brought down the giant, so to speak. Uh, Leeds didn't have their full team, but it wasn't like they had 11 scrubs out there. They were missing a few key players. And right. uh, yeah, it was, this, I thought this was a really interesting stat. It was the first time since 1958 that a fourth, fourth tier team has beaten a top flight side by three or more goals. So it doesn't, did you say? Yeah. So it doesn't happen that often. I mean, it was, I think the margin of victory, I, you know, having lived in England when I was younger, I remember a lot of one nil stunners when a guy would score from, you know, from Hereford in the third division would score from like 40 yards out out of just a bullet in the 88th yeah. minute and topple somebody like Leeds. But yeah, three nil is a pretty that's a drumming. Well, once once the floodgates open, forget it. Yeah. Guys hang their heads and that's the end of it. But that would be like that would be like Middlebury beating UMass. That would yeah. be a really or, big, big, big yeah. upset. <laughs> nice try. Maybe UConn. <laughs> no, but that's but that's why I think the FA Cup does not go away. I think the Carabao Cup you could make an argument for to get to get rid of, but this is the beauty of the FA Cup in my mind. Hey, so uh, here's a little news. I'm not sure if I buy this, you know, anything with the English press, I always take with a grain of salt, but the rumors of Sergio Ramos moving to Liverpool or Man United, do you think this is true or just sort of a, a contract negotiating ploy? I think Guys? I don't know. I, I can't picture Ramos ever leaving Real. I mean, he's such yeah. a symbol of that club. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think he's going to retire there. Honestly, I'm, 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 I'm with you. And by the way, if, if uh, Liverpool fans would never welcome him when he did that body slam to Mo Salah, oh, sure in the they, Champions would. they would forget quick. Remember that though? Remember where he kind of locked arms with him and then, yeah, yeah. and then basically did the pro wrestling move. That was incredibly dirty. And I yeah. think um, I, I was on, we had Lexi Lawless on the show and I kind of gave yeah. him a hard time about that because he didn't think it was that bad. And I'm like, he wrapped him and rolled him. That's I actually didn't think it was that bad in the moment, but upon further review, I will say yeah, yeah. that it was, it was dirty. That's a classic. Yeah. Plus as you fall, you're trying yeah. to fall on the other player. So you and he's a big guy. Yeah. So as you're falling, you're trying yeah. to put the brunt of it on the other player, not yourself. And that's exactly yeah. what he did. He wrapped him and rolled him. That's a, uh, and that's it a affected Salah in the world cup. That was the thing that was so disappointing is he was not, not, not I mean, not that they were going to go very far, but he, he was not the same player. 
And I guess we do a little EPL um, review, but uh, we got John coming up, but uh, man. United. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. Man United, uh, you know, that's the story. I mean, they beat yeah. Burnley one, nil. they're top of the table. First time they've been there since 2017. Uh, they face Liverpool this Sunday at Anfield. That should be a very uh, delicious fixture. That's the big yeah. game. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not convinced about man United. I just, just, well, they're up and down. They're a little up and down. And uh, I think, but Liverpool is not nearly as consistent as they were. Did you no, see Alexander no. Arnold last week? I mean, he gave the ball away, I think, more times than any other defender or player in um, in the league this year. <laughs> I, I just, mean, I just don't see it. Unenthusiastic. I, I don't see it happening for Liverpool this year. I, I think Man City is really, you know, they won again. They're in third place now. They're yeah, they're on the way up. They've sure. got the momentum right now. So all right. So uh, so good EPL stuff, guys. Great stuff uh, this morning. Some really interesting stories and some sort of optimistic news for, you know, players, the United States players over there. So hopefully this impacts our qualifying and our World Cup stuff because after all. It's all about the national team at the end of the day and winning a World Cup here in the United States. All right, so stick around, everybody. Listen to OTB. We've got John Champion, the voice of MLS, coming up after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com. And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he's a man who's been covering this game we know and love for over 36 years, and he's only 38 years old. It's, uh, it's amazing. He looks great. Uh, he's broadcast every single World Cup and UEFA championship since 1990s, covered three Olympics, and he's the lead broadcaster for ESPN's MLS coverage. John Champion, welcome back to Over the Ball. Nice to be with you. How are you all? Good. So you're in you're in England. Uh, the guys are on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. This is a amazing technology we have. Um, so I, I'll knock on wood before we get going here. But uh, so we're really happy you've been doing MLS games, bringing your sort of wealth of talent to it. And um, it was interesting because you're actually doing the West Ham Burnley game this weekend in e EPL coverage. The guys and I, before we got on, we're, we're talking a little bit about it. Do you prepare differently for an EPL game than you do for an MLS game? Um, I suppose you do in that you're broadcasting to a, a different audience and um, also the availability of information is much greater ahead of a Premier League game because right. the stats are all categorised in rather different, deeper and arguably more efficient ways. Um, there's a lot more in terms of the history, not just of the players, but of the teams and previous meetings dating back to the 19th century to research as well. So there is a greater depth, I think, when you um, do your preparation for for that but for me it's easy to prepare for a Premier League game because I've been doing it for so long and it's an arena in which I know the managers I know some of the players I know the people involved a lot of those storylines are in my head anyway because I I talk to the people quite a bit um, whereas in MLS I'm still at the stage where I'm feeling my way still making contacts getting to know people not perhaps quite appreciating all of the historical angles to a particular fixture and therefore having to research them much more assiduously because it's not lodged in there anyway in my head so I suppose those are the those are the major differences. I've, I've sort of got used to preparing for Premier League games as well, because I actually come back to the US next Tuesday and I'll have been over here for nearly six weeks, during which time I think I've done I will have done seven Premier League games. So ranging from Liverpool, Tottenham was the first one I did. Then I did um, 
I did Sheffield United and Manchester United, which was a good game at Bramall Lane just before Christmas. The one I enjoyed the most, actually, was Manchester United against Leeds, 6-2 at Old Trafford. It was the first time I'd seen Bielsa's Leeds in the flesh rather than watching on NBC from my home in, in the US. Right. To actually see them in front of you and see what they do, the way they swarm over a point, uh, opponents, this relentless energy all over the pitch, which doesn't drop throughout the 90 minutes. That was fascinating to see. And the fact that as they were being thumped at Old Trafford and conceding six, they were still going for it, thinking, OK, you're going to score six. We're going to try and score seven. So that was amazing. And then um, post-Christmas, I squeezed in. Well, I was going to squeeze in Everton, Manchester City. I got two thirds of the way there. And then that was... I think only the second Premier League game to be called off because of a COVID scare and outbreak in the, the Manchester City camp. Then I went all the way up to Newcastle to do Newcastle-Liverpool, nil-nil, uh, but a, a decent game. I did Brighton and Wolves at New Year, 3-3, and then this West Ham-Burnley game, and then I come back. So going all the way back to your original question many minutes ago about my preparation, <laughs> I, I flipped back into EPL mode for the time being. All good stuff. You know, you in, mentioned an interesting point, which we've talked about here on the show before, which is the depth of knowledge that you have with the EPLs, the backstories, the players. You know, I watch Liverpool or Manchester United. I know every player. I know the guys on the benches. I know the national teams they play for. I know their history when they were with Barca, they moved over here, you know, all the transfer stuff. That creates a great story when mm. you know when you know what's happening. And I think that's the challenge of MLS sometimes. We don't know who these youngsters are. Some of them coming out of college, some, you know, coming from overseas. and. And I think, uh, you know, when I was covering them back in 94, the, the, the World Cup team, the men's national team, I pushed the stories of the people because when you suddenly know who Lexi Lalas is or Claudia Reyna, you, you start, oh, he was at UVA, he was a Herman Trophy winner. He, you know, you start to go, okay, there's the story. So instead of just looking at 22 people running around, you're, you're emotionally invested in some of these people that are out there. So I think, I think you know, growing up on, with EPL knowledge, it just you don't have to cram, right? You, you you have it. It's there. Yeah, it's it's kind of there, and it's not just EPL knowledge. It's what went before it, the old first division, which was the the top flight before the Premier League came along in 1992. There were so many good stories to dig up from from that era as well, particularly when you're dealing with the longer established teams. I mean, Burnley founder members of the Football League all the way back in 1888. So there's there's plenty to go at whenever you've got a Burnley game. Looking back through the history books, they have a new owner as well, doesn't Burnley? They do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alan Pace, by name. Um, I think there's a group of five, uh, mainly based in Utah, who have bought the club. There have been all sorts of stories in the UK press that have not been particularly encouraging in terms of their likely intentions, because it seems, although they deny it, that they've bought the club on a highly leveraged basis, rather like the Glazers did with Manchester United. I mean, one of the reports um, suggested that they'd actually... Uh, made use of some of the money that resides in Burnley's bank account to buy the club, which you can in some of these takeovers. Nothing illegal about it, but it, it doesn't necessarily bode well in terms of their ambition for what they're going to do to the club. But one suspects the fact they've bought Burnley is reflective of the purchase price and the issue being they want a piece of the Premier League and the cheapest way to get into the Premier League is probably to buy Burnley. <laughs> yeah. it, would be the, it would be the cheapest asset for a, a number of reasons. So they've achieved that. I mean, they are in the UK at the moment. I believe they're self-isolating because of COVID at the moment. So I don't think they've been to a game yet. Uh, I think their hope is possibly to, to go to West Ham and see Burnley in action in the flesh for the first time. 
Oh, that whole leveraged buyout thing is is interesting. It's what it's what uh, Mitt Romney got in trouble for when he was running for president with Bain Capital. You, you know, you buy a team, you immediately take out a loan in the name of that team that they're liable for to pay yourself back. It's just all the smoke and mirrors. And when you're talking about you know English football, uh, people are so emotionally attached to it yes. uh, that it's a, basically a foreign invader taking over a game. Well, it's and, not. It's not just that, Kevin. I mean, I I have a. a a big philosophical difficulty with the attitude to professional sports in the United States, which is nothing. It's not to say that it's wrong. It's just alien to me because I regard football clubs over here and across Europe as living, breathing entities that exist in people's hearts. And yet in America, it all seems to be about cold business decisions and how many dollars are involved. And that's something that I don't think I'll ever fully get my head around that because sport to me is based in entertainment, recreation and emotion, not in balance sheets. Right. And you also have the, the phenomena here in the United States of, uh, you know, the St. Louis uh, Cardinals then become Arizona Cardinals, you know, the, the Rams, mm. they, they all move around and go to the, the, the biggest bidder after eight years and take people's hearts with them, you know, from the community. So um, but there's a big world out there. And I think America doesn't quite always remember that sometimes, um, especially with, you know, we have the World Series and it's it's baseball. It's that we're the only ones who play it. So great. You had a question for John? Yeah, John, uh, great having you with us from the Cotswolds. Um, I just wanted to get back to Leeds for a minute. Um, they, the, their whole feast or famine style, which you were kind of alluding to. And this past weekend, they got toppled by fourth tier Crawley town in the FA cup. And I was just curious, you know, our, our listeners probably don't know that much about the FA cup, but I think what makes it so amazing is that you have, the opportunity for the little team to take down the big team. And I wonder if you could just give a little bit of historical perspective on that. Cause it's just, the history is just riddled with those types of, uh, those types of setups. It is. Um, I think you need to, you need to have sport in your heart to understand and appreciate the FA cup. You know, it's coming back to business versus sport. You need to be a sporting person because it's a, a competition that's built on celebrating the, inequalities that exist between teams right down there in non-league and teams at the very top of the tree in the Premier League and the fact that anyone can beat anyone else on one particular given day. And also, it doesn't happen often. So Crawley beating Leeds is a rarity. You might get one result like that every couple of seasons, no more than that. And in the past, it's been less frequent than that. So it's something that everyone latches onto. People tend to support the underdog even if they've got no connection with, say, Crawley Town, which is best known for really being the airport town. It's right next to Gatwick Airport, just south of London. There's not a lot else, in my humble opinion, to commend Crawley to the world (laughs) other than the fact that it supports Gatwick Airport. So uh, I think now Crawley is on the map for a different reason, for beating Bielsa's Leeds. The only thing I would temper my enthusiasm for the FA Cup with is that these days, for the top teams... The be-all and end-all is staying in the Premier League and continuing to be able to milk that giant cash cow. And so club like Leeds would make compromises in their selection for that game. So there was no Patrick Bamford, for example, their leading goal scorer. There was no Matthias Klick playing in midfield. He left out a couple of their main defenders as well. So it wasn't absolutely the full-strength Leeds United team that was beaten by Crawley. And it takes me back to an FA Cup that I did, I think, four years ago involving Leeds United when they were in the championship and they played at Sutton United, which is actually non-league outside the four tiers of the football league. Um, Fifth, sixth division of the structure. They played on a plastic pitch, which is nearly unheard of in the, in the UK and 
professional or semi-professional sport these days. And Sutton United beat Leeds. And I remember driving back from that, having called the game and given it the big way hey as a huge upset. And actually, I reflected on the way home. It wasn't that big an upset because Leeds that day had changed most of their players. So judging what an upset is and what is just the natural consequence of top managers resting players can be a slightly thorny issue at times. So at its best, in its most pure form, the FA Cup is a magical competition. Yeah, so there's almost an Olympic feel to it, too. And, and all of us as former players can remember being on both sides of the ball, you know, playing mm. a team that's much better and in a better division. And you're playing out of your minds because you have something to prove. And it's that that football match, you know, where you, you suddenly um, you, you're playing out of your mind because you're playing in a big team. You want to be noticed. Sure. Best example of that last weekend was Marine, who are based in a, an area of Liverpool called Crosby, where Carlo Ancelotti lives and Jamie Carragher lives, for example. Um, and Marina named after the local pub, pub and they play in the eighth division of the, the league, non-league structure. So there were 161 places on the league ladder between Marine and Tottenham, their visitors. And that best exemplifies what the FA Cup has always been and hopefully will continue to be about. And credit to Mourinho. Yes, he rested one or two, but he played a largely representative side. And yes, they won 5-0. That doesn't really matter. You know, that's that's the biggest day in the history of Marine Football Club, which has been going for donkey's years. And that's what the FA Cup can bestow on small teams, a day that their supporters and those involved will never, ever forget. Right. And those those players will be able to talk about playing against uh, some of the greatest yeah. players in the world. You know, but it's also, you know, you're Mourinho or whoever you are putting out some of those expensive horses, you know, with uh, some guys that have probably had a pint or two before the game started, maybe. Who knows? So, well, they would have done before lockdown. Yes, you're quite right. Sadly, now they're probably teetotal like the rest of us. Right, exactly. Uh, Sam, you had a question for John. Yeah, John, looking ahead uh, over here to the MLS season, uh, looks like we're going to get sort of an early spring start. Um, do, do you have any sense of what it'll look like from a broadcasting commentary standpoint, or is it too early to tell at this point? I think point? it's too early to tell. I mean, I, I, I admire your confidence in saying when you think it's going to start. I, I'm not sure with the CBA negotiations still to mm. unfold properly. Uh, people are telling me it could be anywhere between the middle of March and sometime in May. Mm. sometime in May barely gives you the chance to get in a proper season when you consider all the international breaks, the Olympics, possibly, the Euros, all the qualification games for the various tournaments as well, the Gold Cup. Um, it's going to be a squeeze to get a, a season in and fit in MLS Cup before Christmas, if, if that's the case. And also, MLS is off the map then for five months, which is too long. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I, I desperately hope that the league and the players association can bang a few heads together, get some sort of agreement over this potential new CBA and actually get started sometime in March to give themselves a chance. Cause otherwise you're so quickly forgotten, even in this day and age with the remarkable times through which we're living. If you're off the sports map for five months, lots of people have just forgotten you even exist. And I've also noticed during world cup qualifying, MLS gets a boost because people are thinking soccer again and, and trying to keep tabs on, on certain players. Grail. Yeah. Just shifting uh, to the women's game, John, um, the, uh, Katarina uh, Macarino, uh, Macarino, excuse me, was uh, made the decision to forego the NWSL draft and uh, sign with Lyon. Mm. And it's uh, she's become, you know, one of probably half a dozen top flight American players to go to Europe. I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, can the NWSL really, really grow and thrive if their best American bred players continue to go abroad? Long term, I think it makes it more of a struggle. Uh, I mean, 
the reasons that these players are going to Europe are, are economic at the moment. What they're going to learn when they get there is that they won't have anything like the same focus on them because the women's game is not so far forward in its development in terms of public perception in Europe, probably wrongly. And yes, we're getting there. But the difference between the amount of attention still paid to the men's game across the mainstream European countries compared to the women's game is huge. And that gap is starting to be bridged. And those American players, because of their quality, will help to play a part in bridging that gap. So that will be rewarding. What won't, I suspect, be quite so rewarding is that certainly at the beginning of their journeys over there, very few people are going to notice what they're actually doing or that they're even there. And I think that is an issue for them in itself as they try and forge careers, because you do need some sort of public awareness of what you're doing. And I'm not sure they're going to get it in the same quantity that they would in the US. Well, they're struggling for it here as well on a professional level. But, you know, you would know this more, John, having you know been up close with some of these franchises over, you know, in England. I would think that they'll benefit from the infrastructure that's already in place from an arsenal or, or from a Lyon where... Mm -hmm the men's infrastructure is built and they can sort of piggyback on that. So it's, it's already, you know, there for them. In terms of the professional approach, Kevin, I think you're right. I mean, Lyon, you mentioned, and obviously that that's very much in the news this week, but Jean-Michel Ullat, the president of Lyon, the men's team, also runs the women's team and it is the same unit. Arsenal has been like that for, for years. You now have clubs that are rather newer to the table for women's football, like Manchester City, taking the same approach. And yes, they're all under the same big umbrella. But what that doesn't do is give you the recognition. I mean, now you can watch any Premier League game in England, particularly at the moment during our lockdown, you can watch any game live on the TV. You can't watch any women's game live on the TV. There might be one on a fairly obscure platform once a week and a few highlights on the BBC at half past midnight on a Saturday. So you, you do disappear from view to a degree. Now, if those American players are going back and playing for the US women's national team from time to time, they will have that spotlight which is great. But in terms of their club performances, they are performing in an arena that doesn't have a lot of eyeballs on it at the moment. Right, right. And well, you know, this is, this is part of the struggle for the women's game, because once you get to the professional level, like here in, in the United States, we have Title IX and the equity, gender equity within the college sports. And so it has to be a focus. But once you go professional, uh, you need the eyeballs to, to pay the money. And, um, and, if it, and you got to figure out how that how you make it happen. When I played professionally, it was about, you know, 3,000 people in the stands and you couldn't demand a big salary because it just wasn't there. So no, so no. I mean, there are some encouraging signs with the, with yeah. the NWSL. I mean, the deal with CBS was really good because it, it got prime, prime exposure for the league and the players in it, but there needs to be more of that. Right. Right. Sam. Uh, well, actually, Grail just wanted to follow up quickly on that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to shift for a minute since you're since you're in England and you're about to commentate a match this weekend. It's it's such an odd season this 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 season, and it seems so unpredictable. Could the, from your vantage point, could this be a year where we have an Aston Villa or an Everton or a, or going back to the Leicester's magical season? Could this be a season where one of those teams ends up winning? I mean, is it shaping up to be that unpredictable? I mean, it is unpredictable. I do think it'll shake out into a more recognisable form as we go on. I mean, we're not even at the halfway mark in the Premier League season. We are in terms of time, but not yet in terms of matches played. We're approaching that point. Um, I think Manchester City are looking ominous. And I don't think Liverpool are going anywhere, although defensively they're short with three centre-backs out at the moment. But they do seem able to 
to cover. I, I'm not sure that Manchester United are going to last the course in terms of the title race itself, but I think they'll be in the top four. Aston Villa are having a great season, but I cannot, I cannot look at that squad and imagine Dean Smith and his men lifting the Premier League trophy at the end of May. I just can't see it. Having said that, five years ago, I really couldn't see it with Leicester, but I think there was more to that Leicester side than there is to this Villa team. Mm -hmm. I think there's more to the current Leicester side than there is to this Villa team. But Dean Smith has found a way of dealing with the pandemic conditions. He has a, a group of men who are bound tightly together uh, in terms of their morale. And the sum of the parts um, is exceeded by what they all are when they're brought together as a whole. So that's good. It's good management and it's excellent recruitment. But I, I, it's a stretch to see mm. them actually winning a, a trophy. I think Tottenham will come up short. Arsenal have left themselves too much to do. And I'm not swept away by Arsenal, even though they have improved of late. So it keeps bringing me back to the same two teams who are Liverpool and Manchester City. Yeah, and Liverpool looks a little tired right now. Uh, mm. So many injuries and just, uh, I think last year still weighs on them a little bit. Uh, yeah, Sam? It's also, I'm sorry, Kevin, I was just going to say, it's also interesting. Does Klopp's attitude play a part in this as well? Because he's actually mm -hmm. been complaining about things a lot, whereas Guardiola yeah. generally has just been getting on with things. And I think if you've got right. a complaining manager, it can give an excuse to players at times. Yeah, and I think... Uh, he's been around a little bit longer in the premier league. I used to all the fixtures that you have to play. I mean, I think that's what Klopp was complaining about is just the amount of games everybody's playing and it it's exacerbated by all the injuries. It just tightens everything. Yeah. You're, but you're he's, been in this, he's been in this arena for five years now, Klopp. This is his sixth season. Yeah. And he's always been a bit spooked by the holiday program around Christmas and new year from, from season one. He's always worked himself up about it, how it's unfair. You can't have top flight athletes playing this frequently. Well, actually, you can because they do. It may not be yeah. optimum, but they're asked to do it for this period every year. And he's kind of got to get used to that. And I thought we got past the stage of him being spooked by that, but apparently not. And, and, well, the, and, those, and those TV deals, John, help mm. give Liverpool the money to be able to go out and get players, which he seems to just disconnect from. Yes. Yeah. And he's very happy to take issue with TV interviewers after matches. Yeah. Um, and and lambast them because they're being asked to kick off having played on a Wednesday night at 12.30 UK time on a Saturday. But yeah, the reason that he can uh, spend such riches on assembling a, a squad that is arguably the best club squad in the world uh, right now uh, is down to that television deal. And that deal is about to be renegotiated. And you look at the squeals of complaint. If when that deal is done later in the year, the next three-year term brings in less money, you know, those uh, Premier League yeah. managers will be at the front of the queue complaining then if they don't have the resources. Yeah, the economics are all going to be a little different because of the pandemic and everything else. I also have a theory that Klopp is such a high pressure coach, constantly keeping them motivated, almost like they play defensively, that swarming, how they chase the ball. After a while, it peters out. You don't have the same effect on players. They don't respond as well. I remember talking to um, uh, John Calipari, the basketball coach from Kentucky, who's in some other, you know, uh, controversy this week but um he said when he coached in the pros he said you can you can yell at college kids pretty much every day you know you're you're kind of really on them about everything he goes in the pros he goes i could maybe throw down and yell two three times a season mm. because otherwise the players just blank you out and, and don't want to hear it they have lives of their own they're millionaires on their own and so it's tough to keep these guys motivated right yeah yeah, yeah, it is. I, I'm just surprised that Klopp has allowed himself to be sidetracked. I mean, I should add, I think he's a terrific coach. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to buy a Premier League club, 
no chance. But if I was, <laughs> he'd probably be the guy I'd go to because I think he's wonderful, he's charismatic, he's innovative. But I'm, I'm just surprised that this is actually, he's got to be in his bonnet about this. Absolutely. Sam? Yeah, uh, I can't resist asking a craft question, John. And uh, we talk a lot on the show about, you know, finding our voice as Americans in terms of broadcasting the game over here. And I'm curious from your perspective, having lived over here for a while now, if there are any North American sports that you've taken to and what elements of the commentary and broadcasting side of things you think, you know, could translate well into soccer? Um, good question. I mean, I enjoy watching the NFL. Um, I, uh, I mean, it's so made for TV. I, I get frustrated by the, the long gaps where you've got time to go off and make not one but two or three cups of tea before something else happens. <laughs> that, that, that kind of bugs me a, a little we bit. Again, I, I, I love cricket, so I, I don't really have a, a leg to stand on on that because there are lots of gaps in cricket as well. Uh, baseball, I can, I can sit and watch. Um, basketball, I find a little, a little repetitive. Um, you score, they score, you score, they score. And I'm sure that the trouble is that a lot of the subtleties of these games are still going right over the top of my head. So it's unfair, really, of me to to make um, judgments or sweeping generalizations. I've not yet got into a cornhole. I, I probably need to do a bit more research on, on that, but that seems to fill the ESPN schedules for many hours at certain times. That's a lot of beer and it's a lot of barbecue chicken when you're doing Johnson you're doing Johnsonville sausage has been put on the map with cornville. Yeah. But I think what I what I most like, I like the presentation of the NFL. I mean, it's just so slick. Yeah, it, it is so slick. It's just TV sport done really, really well. And you can see the resources and the dollars that are thrown into it coming back at you through the screen. So I really like that. And I've got great admiration for people like Al Michaels, who in his mid 70s is still producing at the top level, having done it for the last 45 years. You know, the voice of so many iconic events. I, I, I think longevity is a. Uh, is a good marker of someone in one of those prime jobs. And he's been there throughout and hasn't been knocked off his perch. So I've got a lot of admiration for that. That's the thing, you know, Sam, to turn Sam's question around, it seems like there's been a lot of influence in the uh, Premier League from the NFL. I mean, you went with a Monday night football, I think mm -hmm. after we did it here in the United States. And also, uh, Grail, you would know this, how, or John, you would as well, but how many cameras they have for an NFL mm -hmm. football game. I mean, they have so many isolated shots on, on players. And it seems like the Premier League coverage is so good because you're down there now with the players. You can see you can see them running, how fast they yeah. are, how big they are. I mean, for a Premier League game, that about 25 cameras would be would be standard. The difference though, of course, between covering the NFL and the Premier League is that the NFL is to a greater degree choreographed mm -hmm. because right. you have so many set plays, the coaches sit in meetings with the announcers and the producers the day before and actually give them an insight into some of the plays they can expect. So they can actually position some of the cameras to capture those to best advantage. Whereas Premier League is entirely spontaneous. You never know what's gonna happen next. So there is that fundamental difference. And in terms of the announcing of sports, I, I think there is, there is a, a gap almost as wide as the Atlantic between the British style of announcing a soccer game and the American style of announcing NFL, basketball, baseball, because American broadcasting is pretty much constant talking. Whereas I think British sports broadcasting uses the crowd a little bit more as part of the, the ambient atmosphere. And that does the job for the announcer. I think there's, there's a philosophy that less is more in British sports broadcasting, which I don't always see in the American 
counterparts. Well, here in America, you don't want to talk to the NFL fans because they've they have their no, they have no shirt on and they have a big L painted on their chest or something. They're crazy. <laughs> so, uh, well, John, we we appreciate it. You talking to us from across the pond there. Um, good luck with uh, with everything you're doing. We'll keep watching you um, and the EPL games as well as MLS. We're really excited that you're you're um, you're bringing your game to uh, to MLS and to uh, and your wealth of knowledge. You know, you talked about all those years of broadcasting, all those Olympic games, the UEFA Champions League, all that stuff. Um, it really comes through in the broadcasting. And I think MLS is ripe to move forward and move into the next uh, the next millennium, as it were. Yeah, we just just need them to decide on a start date for the season. That's all we need now. <laughs> exactly. You got to buy your plane tickets, my friend. Well, John Champion <laughs> from ESPN, thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball. We'll talk to you again. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. God, I love talking to that guy. And uh, it's so funny, you know, John, just the history he has. Um, I think that was a great point, don't you guys, about how you know all the history of the Premier League because he's grown up in it, been covering yeah. it for years. You come to MLS, who are these guys? Where are they from? What's the history of the, you know, of the story? Uh, franchise and our, you know, it's like our history. It's like the old Steve Martin LA story. He goes, they're showing Los Angeles and he goes, some of these buildings are almost 20 years old, <laughs> you know, where you go, you know, in England, I think, you know, John mentioned what, 1850 being one of the original teams. I mean, it goes way, way back. So the yeah, history is Burnley. Yeah. No, the reference points are just, you know, he can just, he'll remember just off the top of his head when so-and-so beat so-and-so in 1974 in that epic, replay or whatever it was and you know we just don't have that yet i mean but that takes time it takes time to build the history and um yeah we'll, get, know, we'll it, get there it reminds me someone was saying i forget who the player was but they're like oh how could you not know who he was he played for everton in the 70s in the midfield he dominated i'm like because we didn't get the game here and then i would yeah. say to them do you know who Will Chamberlain is? No, Bobby yeah. Orr. Well, no. well, it's also, Sam, you'll relate to this because you lived in Italy and I lived in England. It's just total immersion in a way that is very different, I think, from American sports. I just think when I lived in England, soccer, there were other sports, obviously, but everybody's immersion in soccer was just to a depth that's hard to compare to American sports. Yeah, for sure. It reminds me a little bit of when we were talking about Freddie Adu, too, and how yeah. he we didn't really know what to expect from him because we didn't have these benchmarks in place, right? Like how yeah. many goals, how many MLS cups, et cetera. And you know, I still think we're figuring that out. And the league, you know, adds two teams every year. So everything's constantly shifting. And yeah, right. we, we're not we're not quite at that baseline yet, let's say. Yeah. You know, but but also, again, if you're talking about Americans and developing, you know, you talk about Katarina Macario there, where she left, went to Brazil right in her prime development years as a player mm -hmm. and then comes back to the United States and is, you know, highly skilled because she's been mm -hmm. growing up in the streets, probably playing beach soccer and everything else in Brazil and learning all that stuff. So, um, all right. So Sam, what do you got for us uh, today as far as a quiz goes? Anything? Yeah. So this is oh, kind of another thing I was, I mean, I had a lot to be over this week. Um, <laughs> I, I should have spaced them out a little bit, but um, Kevin, this actually goes back to a point you were making about how, you know, centralized our sports are here in this country because there's one top football league, one top baseball league, et cetera. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit over just how hard it is to keep track of everything uh, like on TV. Now it's almost like there's yeah. too much on offer and it's too spread out. 
Um, you know, a bunch of people have put stuff up on Twitter. It's like, okay, I want to watch every Tottenham game this year. I need like eight packages to cover all the different competitions that they're in. Uh, and, you know, we were supposed to be in this unbundling era where everything was going to be cheaper. And it now seems like we're spending oh, yeah. more money to get all the games. So I guess to start with, have you guys bit the bullet and gotten Peacock subscriptions? Yeah, yeah. Not, uh, yeah I have it. Okay. I mean, so, I mean that, that Liverpool Man United match is on Peacock this weekend. Yeah. Okay. And I've gotten uh, CBS the sports, you know, package because yeah, you got the CBS all access. Yeah. All access for Champions League, and so uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's interesting. I sent you guys a press release this morning that I had received from World Soccer. I think uh, talking mm-hmm. about an app that they're building to try and tell you where the games are because I, I go to Soccer America and their TV listings. That's how I figure out where games are. Yeah, and- I mean, we get the we get the those uh, alerts from Soccer America that basically direct you. So I'm not, so I'm those not sure are what great. This but, other apps can offer. So the, no, those are great, and it, it's it's not hard to track all these games down. But I sort of wish there was a central channel that gave you like a Premier League game every week, a Serie A game, right? So you could find it all in one place, and you kind of give you a bit of an overture. But it's all about slicing and dicing the right, Sam. Every, know, every single thing is about you know ten. You know, Amazon gets fifteen games so-and-so gets it and it's billions and billions of dollars adding yeah. up so so anyway it's a quiz in two parts the first is about uh Wait there, i want to say one thing Go what on. pisses me off though is if the national team plays here in the united states espn has the rights and they put it on espn3 yeah. yeah it's like wow you're, you're kidding me you're doing us a disservice you're, you're creating it's not consistent enough to make me buy that channel Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet here you have a national team game and you put it on a service that's a, it's kind of a one-off and four months later, we're supposed to buy it again to see the next national team game. It's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, anyway, quiz in two parts. So the first one is about us players ab- abroad. Uh, currently we have eight players playing in the Bundesliga. That's the biggest contingent wow. in any European league. Um, so in the top divisions, I didn't have time to research all the lower divisions, but where do you think we find the second greatest contingent of U.S. players beyond Germany? Dutch, Dutch league. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, that's a very good guess. And I'm going to agree with you. Um, okay. It's actually not the Dutch league. Um, it is the EPL with six. Whoa. Tied with uh, the Jupiler League in Belgium with six. Okay. okay. I should have stayed there, man. <laughs> no, I, I, that was, I thought that was a good guess. Cause, cause no, I it is the, a good guess. It is yeah. a good guess. So next on the list, maybe a bit of a surprise, the Danish League with five players. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. No. And that I'm is sure. followed by the Scottish Premier League and the Dutch League, where there are oh. four Americans each. Okay. Four? So, yeah. Very good. I, so, look. That they're developing over there and hopefully they you know get to a certain level where they can help yeah. us on the national team you know but look it's like brazil it's their great export is all these players um why not us eventually yeah so second part of the quiz getting back into the tv complaint that i had uh, i want you guys to tell me if you can where to find these let's call them secondary competitions on television in the u.s so where could you watch the belgian league in the u.s with six U.S. Uh, players, I'm going to say Fubo TV or Bean Sports. Okay, there's actually no TV deal for the U.S. Okay, for was, the well, that's a trick question. That's a trick question. Wait Sam. a minute, Sam. <laughs> Next one. Where can you watch the Danish league on TV in the United States? I'll go back to Fubo. I've I, I just I have to think of some kind of like fringe networks that have rights. Bean deals. Sports. I'll go with Bean Sports again. Okay, that's actually on ESPN Plus. 
Okay. Scottish so, Premiership. Where can you find that? I'll go with ESPN Plus for that. Uh, yeah. No, Fox. Fox. Let's go with Fox. Okay. ESPN Plus. Well done. Uh, and then the Dutch League. Where can you find that? Fox. <laughs> Being I'll, go, I'll go back to ESPN Plus. Okay. ESPN Plus again. Well done. I feel like they're a reservoir for a lot of broadcasts. Okay. Now, look. Yeah. It feels like ESPN is gone away from soccer, yet here they are carrying all this soccer, but we don't even know about it. Yeah, well, they had a to little build. They had, remember, Flinny, when they launched ESPN Plus, they just had to populate that new ch- channel with uh, tons of content. Yeah, but you know, here's the thing I was the original host of the Fox Soccer Channel. It used to be called Fox Soccer World. It's starting then- to sound like Hope Solo. But no, no, wait. So, so I become host of that channel. That channel becomes really, really popular because it's a one-stop destination yeah. for all your soccer needs. Fox Soccer, you know, channel, right? And all of a sudden, it got so successful that they were like, then they split it up. It, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's nice that you know the NHL has the NHL Network or MLB Network, NFL Network. That's sort of the centralized spot yeah. for coverage that we don't really have i don't think so but 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 they're much bigger sports true um so continuing the portuguese league primera liga where do you think we find that on tv in the u.s i'm gonna go with bn bn sports okay that's on goal tv oh Uh, what about the russian league if you ever want to look at that what were they they were on putin powerhouse no i remember when we were doing games No, weren't we doing games during COVID on the Russian League? Uh, I'm going to say oh, Belarus. I'm going Belarus. back to B in sports. Okay, that's something called Fubo Sports. Oh, Network, that's Fubo. That's which the is one apparently that I, a free service. It's Fubo. Well, Fubo TV isn't free. Out of no, that's a paid service. No, but Fubo Sports really. Network, I think, I is it. a separate thing. Okay, okay. I, I won't try a trick question again. But the Austrian League, where Jesse Marsh is, is not available on TV in the U.S. What about the Turkish League? Oh, that is BN, because didn't our friend Eric Krakauer? I thought he did some Turkish Correct. stuff. BN Sports. Okay, that's let's where Eric, let's give a little plug to Eric Krakauer. Yeah. That's where he cut his teeth at BN. Don't you remember him saying I, he did I, Turkish I, league I, matches? Yep. I said BN Sports for every answer, except the one that was actually BN Sports. I well, I cut you off. I cut you off. You, <laughs> I could have just said ESPN Sports in. for everything and been right half the time. Distant, so. All, All right. right, South America, Argentina. Where can you watch that? Oh my God, this is horrible. I'm going to go with BN again. Uh, you're going with BN? Yeah. I'll go with ESPN Plus. Okay, that, that's on something called Fanatis. And you can Fanatis. also and get they a. Sponsor, uh, they sponsor um, Grant's Grant podcast. Wall. Yeah, yeah Grant's right. You can also get some games on Fubo TV, Brazilian League. Yeah. Now, Brazilian League. Wow. We so should be. I think that would be. I'm going to say ESPN Plus. Yeah, I will too. Okay, that's also Fanatis. And then finally, closer to home, Liga MX. ESPN. Univision. Okay, it's actually split up a little bit. TUDN is the principal broadcaster. They have rights to 14 of the 18 clubs. There are games on Univision and also on Fox Sports. That's the only time that pops up. So only, you know however many channels if you want to watch all that i don't know we what were i think we were you, but... one for 13 grail well that, yeah. that was sort of the point of the quiz i mean i didn't know any of this you know but, yeah but there's a there's so much available but it's just so spread out it's a little crazy well yeah. it's it's hit you know soccer has hit this country and now uh you know broadcast wise right as everybody's doing streaming services so it's even more confusing so the yeah. established networks are you know, like I was watching that uh, or seeing an advertisement for that Ted Danson sitcom, Mr. Mayor. It's like it almost feels like such old school, like a sitcom. 
on a network. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just weird. We used to Netflix and you know Amazon Prime and and all the other stuff. It's sort of just like bizarre. Yeah. So uh, all right. So what games are we watching this uh, weekend, guys? I know what I know what I'm watching. Uh, Liverpool Man United on Peacock. On Peacock, uh, boy, a little plug and, there. That's a great game, and plus, you know, yeah, for the top of the table, basically, it's a six-point swing for the winner. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give some ESPN love uh, on Friday. So today, if you're listening to this, Lazio Doma, the Rome Derby, is at two forty-five nice. on ESPN Plus. Derby, Derby. Um, How do you say it in Italian? Derby, Derby, Derby. Um, Sunday is the Spanish Super Cup final between Barcelona and the winner of today's semi between uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Bilbao. That's on ESPN2, 2.45. And uh, Sunday, the Derby d'Italia, Inter Juve, uh, 2.45 on ESPN+. Nice. Uh, I got the menu. That's uh, that's my destination viewing. So, uh, all right, boys. Well, good stuff. I uh, one of my favorite guests, Sean Champion. He uh, he really is. He's a wealth of knowledge and and love the perspective that he brings. Um, And it's funny that he's here, or he's actually in England right now, but he's coming back here, living outside of Boston, but uh, you know, immersing himself in this game. It is the future. So, Mm -hmm. any other comments before we wrap it up here, gents? Good to go. Good to go. So, all right. I'd like to thank our guest, John Champion, today. I'm Kevin Flynn. That's uh, Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. We'll talk to you next time on OTB, everybody. See you.